0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Marriage Radio Podcast. I'm going to be your host today. My name is Kimberly Holmes, and I am the CEO at Marriage Helper. Normally, if you tune into this podcast, your host is Dr. Joe Beam, who is the founder and chairman of Marriage Helper, and he is out this week. This week, he's on vacation, a well-deserved rest and relaxation away with his beautiful bride, Alice. So they are taking some time off, and I was honored to be able to step in and take over the podcast for this evening. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast all the time on iTunes. You, su- you can go ahead and subscribe to it on its uh, look under Marriage Radio. Go ahead and subscribe so that you can always get the newest episodes. This is usually done live on Tuesday nights when Joe does it. He does it as a live call-in format on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. Central Time. Tonight, we're or today, we're not going to be doing it that way. I am pre-recording this and uploading it just as a regular podcast because I really want to have time to go in-depth into the topic that I am going to be talking about tonight. And that topic is, what is the first step that you should take when you're trying to save your marriage? This is a question that we hear people ask us all of the time. Now at Marriage Helper, our mission is to save and strengthen marriages. And over the past Many years, the one part of it that we have been focusing on, and the one part of it that we are really, really good at, is the saving marriages part. And so, fortunately or unfortunately, however you wish to view it, um, the place where I typically meet people is in that desperation where they are just looking to absolutely save their marriage. So the biggest question that I get from people when they're first introduced from Mar- to Marriage Helper is, what am I supposed to do first? There's so much information that you give us on your website, through the articles, through the Facebook group, through the webinars, through the podcast, that it's so overwhelming. So what can I do first? And that's what we're going to talk about in tonight's program. What is that first step that you should take when you're looking to save your marriage. I know if you're looking to save your marriage, you're probably on the edge of your seat right now thinking, just go ahead and tell me, get it out there. Trying to build suspense. I don't know how well it's working, but we're going to dive into it right now. One of the things that we teach people at Marriage Helper is called the love path. Now, the love path is something that was developed by Dr. Joe Beam, who, again, is our founder and chairman at Marriage Helper, and he developed this process, and it is a process of how people fall in love. It's absolutely fascinating. And in this process, the whole concept behind it is, if you follow the process, you fall in love, whether you mean to or not. And if you vacate or violate the process, then you fall out of love, whether you mean to or not. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, Kimberly, that's wonderful, great to know, that would be great if I were single, but I'm not, I'm married, how does this apply to me? When you're in a relationship, whether you're married, engaged, wherever you are on that spectrum of being in a relationship, love is always a decision. Being in love with someone is a constant decision that you make Daily sometimes, it feels like, maybe even hourly. If you're angry with your spouse, if they've done something to upset you, you make that decision, you make that commitment to stay in love with your spouse. So falling in love with someone isn't something that just happens once and then it's on pilot, autopilot for the rest of the relationship. That's not how it goes. The process of falling in love is something that happens continually throughout the process and the longevity of Of a relationship. And so many times when marriages start to enter that crisis mode, when people are starting to really look at their marriage and realize that it's falling apart, when we look at it as the team at Marriage Helper, when we're on the outside looking in and we're helping them to save their marriage, we can realize, okay, this is the process. This is the process of falling in love. And here is where your relationship fell off that process. Just as the quote that I said earlier, if you vacate or violate the process, if you step off of that love path at any point, then you fall out of love, whether you mean to or not. But here's the great news. You can always start back at the very beginning of the love path, the very beginning of the process, and fall back in love. Awesome. So as I said, this process is called the love path. And the very first step that you're going to take on the love path is the one that we're going to be talking about today. The one that we're going to talk about on this podcast, we're really going to dive in deep to it. And that first step is attraction. I know what you're thinking. You're probably sitting there thinking, okay, my marriage is in crisis. Everything's falling down around me and you're sitting here and telling me that the best thing for me to do right now is to go and start a workout program and to eat right and that's going to save my marriage. Not quite. (laughs) That's only one part of it. You see, when people think about attraction, when they hear that word, the first thought that pops into their head is looks, that physical part of attraction. it's all about how you look. And that's because that's the way society has been programming it into us for many, many years. Attraction is always in the media and the magazines and the movies and all of those things. It's very much based on the physicality, the physical part of it, the looks. But that is not the only part of attraction. We're going to go even deeper into that. Attraction is actually composed of four components and those are P for physical, intellectual, emotional and spiritual. The four areas of attraction, physical, intellectual, emotional and spiritual. P I E S is the acronym that you can use when you're wanting to keep to remember it. How to remember it? We call it the pies. Now, that probably doesn't make any sense, but if you think of it this way, it actually has, for those of you who are Christians, a very biblical background to it. Another way you could say it is body, mind, heart, and soul. Oh, so why didn't we just say that? Well, because that doesn't really spell anything, and we want to be able to help people remember these things that we teach them. So, pies. All right, so let's start with the P, physical. What does that mean? That's probably the easiest to describe because most people understand physical attraction. For men, looking at women, uh, for men to be attracted to women, some of the things that they look for are, are their teeth straight? Do they have beautiful hair? Is it, is it shiny? Is it lustrous? Does it have volume to it? Um, is their waist to hip ratio 70%? Meaning, is their waist 70% the size of their hips? And different things like that, the the vibrancy of the skin, the color, the health that's in their skin, and just physical terms. These are the kinds of things that men look at. And if you look at the research that says that these are the things that men subconsciously or consciously notice in a woman when they're trying to decide whether or not they're attracted to her, these are actually things that, that point to signs of health and fertility in a woman. They're things that show that she has the ability to uh, to carry and to deliver and to nurture a child. Interesting how that works, isn't it? So let's look at the women. When women are looking for a man to be attracted to, when they're looking for for that, some of the things that they notice are the, the, the signs of strength and dominance. Notice I didn't say domination, but dominance. They're looking for things like, broad shoulders. They're looking for height. They're looking for uh, great muscle tone. They're looking for the things that show that this man can protect me Do if I need to be protected. I feel safe around this person. Now remember, these are all right now under the area of physical attraction. Physical attraction isn't just about those kinds of things, but it, it can also be affected by How you exercise, how well you keep up with your body, good hygiene, all of those kinds of things. The way that you dress, you know. For uh, for me, I remember when my husband and I first got married, and we lived in Korea. We moved all the way to Korea uh, a month after we got married. Talk about a complete upheaval of everything I thought I knew. We we moved. We didn't know anyone. We moved away from family and friends, and there was a time. probably a year. I hate to say it, but I would just binge watch Netflix and sit on the couch in my pajamas all day long. And that's part of physical attraction, but not in the physical attraction sense in in that aspect. I wouldn't take care of myself. I wasn't, you know, changing out of my pajamas into clothes and wanting to look nice on a daily basis. But all of that falls under that umbrella of physical attraction. All right, so you probably have a good understanding of that, of what physical attraction is. So let's move on to the next one, intellectual attraction. Now you're probably thinking, okay, does this mean that I have to get my master's degree or my doctorate or any kind of education, because if so, I'm out. That's not what it means. It can mean that if that's what you want it to mean, but when we take a step back and look at intellectual attraction from a broad picture, the kind of things that we're looking at are this. This is how I like to say it. Are you a fascinating person? Do you have complexity about you? Uh, you know, I heard someone say one time, and I can't remember the quote directly, but they were basically saying that the more things that a person is is interested in, the more fascinating that they are. So I know for me personally, this is something I've tried to grow in over the past year or two of my life, to where I would have more depth to me as a person, that I would be able to intermingle in different groups of people that have different interests, and I would be able to talk about what they're talking about if the need arose. And so what are the things that I did to do that? Well, personally, you know, I, I became the CEO of Marriage Helper about a year and a half ago, and I really dived deep into how businesses work, how nonprofits work, how to write things, uh, you know, write articles, how to write books, how to be creative. Uh, that's one section of things that I did. I also love yoga. I love working out and yoga is one of the things I enjoy. And so I would dig deep into, into that kind of circle, but staying away from the from the religious aspects of it and more so focusing on the anatomy and the health benefits and, and different things like that. I also have a a huge interest in nutrition and diet and how diet affects your body and all those kinds of things, as well as mission work. Uh, That's something I'm very passionate about. I absolutely love, love mission work. My absolute favorite one that's on my heart is orphans, specifically in India. Love the work that people do for orphanages in India and just being able to learn about that culture and, and to travel there and to help people that are running those types of things, I would love to establish my own one day. And so those are just a a broad, I mean, a a very short example of the kinds of things you can do to become a more intellectually attractive person. It's basically just saying, are you fascinating? Do you have a lot of levels to you? If you were an onion, (laughs) and people were to start peeling back the layers, would there be a lot to you? So Emotional attraction is the next one. It is is the E of the pies. When we're looking at emotional attraction, this is the hardest one for people to really comprehend about why it is so important. Emotional attraction is basically, are you a safe place for, in this situation, your spouse? Since we're talking about marriage, are you a safe place for your spouse? And you might be thinking, Well, what does that mean? Go back to when you and your spouse first started dating. Even if you weren't friends, technically, before you started dating, even if you started your relationship in that dating phase, there was still this friendship that was an underlying basis to your relationship. It is what spurred you moving forward to deciding that you wanted to establish a long-term relationship, With your spouse, and if you go back to that, just think about how it how it was. Your spouse would tell you things that may have been embarrassing, that usually would have made you angry. But since you were in that friendship, in that new stage of your relationship, you wouldn't attack your spouse for these things. You wouldn't put your spouse down for things that they would share uh, that might be embarrassing or or that they might be worried that you might get upset about. Instead, you would simply respond in love and in graciousness and being that safe place for your spouse. It all boils down to you would provoke emotions in your spouse that were positive for your spouse to feel. They felt safe. They felt comfortable. They felt loved. They felt, uh, like you friend they felt friendly with you, they felt empathy, they felt all of those kinds of things, and probably in return, your spouse also made you feel those positive emotions you evoked positive emotions in each other. The last one is spiritual attraction and in this one it it's not necessarily spiritual in the sense of what is your religion, but it's spiritual in the sense of what are your beliefs, and values. So let me explain the difference between beliefs and values first. Beliefs are things that I hold to be true, and values are the way that I expect people to act based on my beliefs. So for example, if I believe that homosexual marriage is a sin, that is a belief that I have my value then would be that I would hold heterosexual marriage at at that higher standard, and therefore I would expect other people to behave in the same way. Not making a political statement, not saying anything of that. That's just a very common topic that's out hot topic in the news right now. Can you see how that works? If I believe something to be a certain way, then my value... Cor- corresponds with how I expect people to act based on that belief. All right, so we've we've got we've got the four down. Let's go back and review. The P is physical attraction. The I is intellectual attraction, emotional attraction, and spiritual attraction. So, all right, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, so how does this work for someone who's already married? Here's what you need to understand. For all four types of attraction, they can change. So just because your spouse found you attractive when you first got married doesn't mean that those levels of attraction will last like that over the course of your marriage. In fact, attraction can be perceived as positive, neutral, or negative. So if if my husband, if he comes home every day for... Months and I have just neglected my physical appearance. I, you know, as I said earlier, I'm binge watching Netflix all the time. I'm eating junk food. I'm not taking care of myself. I start to change physically. So he might go from thinking of me as a positive physical attraction to where he's positively attracted to me to over time becoming a neutral attraction to where he basically says, I am not attracted to you, but I'm not unattracted to you. I just feel very neutral about you. You're just kind of there. But over time, if I stay in that neutral spot and I still don't do anything to go back to the positive side of it, over time, I'm going to become negatively attractive to my spouse. Over time, he might actually become repulsed by me. Physically, this can happen. Intellectually, this can happen. If I am not continually growing, continually nourishing my brain, continually doing those things to be a fascinating person to engage and interact with, to where my husband and I have things to talk about in common, over time, I could become neutral. Over time, he could become repulsed by the fact that I'm not growing. Interestingly, if I continue to grow and my spouse does not then it works both ways. I could be repulsed at the fact that he's not growing, but he could become repulsed at the fact that I am growing intellectually. And either way, it's a bad thing to happen. Now, emotionally is really the most important one to relationships. Now, all aspects of attraction are important and they stay important until the day that you die. Attraction is always important. But if there had to be one that was the absolute most important of all of them when it comes to having a healthy and satisfying marriage, it would be emotional attraction. And an emotional attraction, basically, if I am providing that safe place, then you will be emotionally attracted to me, which is what we want. That's awesome. But if I start attacking you, if I start just Telling you that you can't do that, I become an unsupportive spouse. I do all of these things that make it an unsafe place for you to where you don't even want to talk to me anymore because you don't even want to hear the negative things that I'm going to say. Not only will I become a neutral emotional attractive, but I will become a negative, and you will be so walled off from me that you won't even care what happens. You, because you don't feel emotionally safe. There's not that safe connection, that basis of friendship anymore. Everything else will fall down. Absolute worst one to neglect. And then finally, spiritual attraction. Now, the caveat to this one is that if someone is trying to act out, then they might be looking for someone who has a lesser spiritual stance than they do. But most of the time, Someone is, I, you know, me, if I'm looking for a relationship, then I'm going to be looking for someone who I perceive to have an equal or better spiritual relationship or spiritual attractiveness level than my own. So you might be thinking, okay, this is a lot of information. How, how does this actually apply in marriage? So, so here's how the pies worked for me. I've already said earlier in in the podcast about how my husband and I as soon as we got married a month later we moved overseas to to Korea and I I was there completely alone I mean both of us were but my husband was in the army and so he would go to work every day and he would be gone for 10 to 12 hours he worked insanely long days when we were in Korea and I had nothing to do. I I didn't have friends yet. We, of course, didn't have family. I didn't even have a car. And we didn't live close to public transportation. And so many days, I was just stuck at home and going crazy, which is why I would do things like binge watch Netflix. The one good thing that did happen is I did learn to cook. I didn't know how to cook, but I spent a lot of time learning how to cook. But what this led to was I really started neglecting my pies. I really did. I, you know, I said earlier, I wouldn't get ready for the day. I would just lounge around in my pajamas. I'd go to bed around 2 or 3 a.m. I'd wake up around 10 or 11 a.m. I wasn't applying myself. I wasn't growing intellectually at all. I would just watch TV or, you know, I, I did cook. That was one thing. But as a whole... I wasn't growing intellectually where on the other hand, my husband was learning how to fly planes. I mean, he, or helicopters. So he was studying all the time and really growing intellectually, but it was in an area that I had, I couldn't even understand. You know, he would talk about instruments and all of these weather patterns and I just shut down. I didn't know how to comprehend that. Um, Emotionally, you know, I I tried to be a safe place, but what ended up happening was since my husband was working such long hours and I was I felt so lonely that when he would get home, I would just attack him. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, in a fighting way attack him, but I would attack him with attention. I wanted I it's like, "Oh, you're home. Let's talk about everything and let's do all of this stuff and and when he needed time to cool off and to just recuperate from a long day at work, he he would respond with, "Whoa, you know, you need to back off a little bit." And what I heard was, "I don't want to be around you." And I already felt lonely. And so then is when I would do the the attacking and anger of, "You don't care. You this isn't going to work. Like, what are we even doing? Why are we even doing this?" And this happened every day for. I mean, at least a year. And I really, what happened was my, my husband began, uh, and spiritually before we get into that and spiritually, you know, we, both of us just really kind of fell off the map, you know, when we were both strong Christians and we never lost that, but we didn't go to church. Uh, we didn't have a church home. It was, you know, we would visit some places in Korea, but it was kind of hard to find what we were used to, which is no excuse, but we really just kind of let that slip. And so You know, my husband started pulling away, and I became very unattractive to him. And as he began to pull away, I began to beg and plead and whine and cry and manipulate. And I would do all of these things to try and get him to come back, which none of them worked, of course. I mean, now I know that. We teach that. That's the first thing that we teach people. But what had happened was I lost my identity and I slowly started to get it back, but you know, it's to make a long story short, I ended up moving back to the States. And it wasn't necessarily because of our marriage, it, I wasn't running away from our marriage, but I wanted to find my identity again. And so the way that we did that is I decided to enroll in a master's program. And I decided I was going to enter it for marriage and family therapy. And the best way for me to do that was to be in an in person program, not to do something. Online or anything like that. So I actually moved back to America about six months before my husband moved back to America, and that that was a season all of its own. Um, there was a lot of change happening, but you know, long story short, I found out that being a marriage and family therapist is not what I wanted to do. Um, and you can hear about that in some other podcasts, I'm sure, but that is what led to me starting to work at Marriage Helper. I started as an executive assistant and, um, and then finally my husband was able to return home from Korea. And this kind of led into the, the second season of our marriage. So if the first season of our marriage was the one where I lost all concept of working on my pies and, and it led to a lot of tension, um, which was definitely not the worst that we've been through on our marriage, but it was hard, especially for it being your first year or so of marriage. But when we moved into that second season of marriage, it it really hit rock bottom. Um, And at this point, I was working with Marriage Helper. I was learning these tools. I was implementing them absolutely in every way I could. Does that mean I was perfect? Absolutely not. Not in the least bit, but I understood this concept of pies. I understood how the love path worked. I understood all of these things. Uh, But there was, there was a time when, when, after my husband got home from Korea and if you're a military spouse or if you're in a marriage where you and your husband or you and your wife have to be separated for long periods of time, you understand that when you come, it's, it's not the being apart that's the hardest you learn to live with that. You learn to get a new normal. What the hardest part is, contrary to popular belief, is coming back together. Learning to basically live with each other all over again was a very stressful process. And it is for many couples, but it especially was for me and my husband because it was hard enough for us when we first got married. And there were some things external to our marriage that were going on at my husband's life in my husband's life at that time and it led to a lot of anger in him and it manifested in our home and our home because I wasn't responding to the anger well our home became a very toxic environment and um, you know in that first season of marriage it was me I was the one who was not working on myself anymore and and doing so many things wrong and in this season of our marriage um, I was I was trying to do everything right, and I'm not going to say my husband was doing everything wrong. I wouldn't say that, but he had let his pies slip. And at, at this point, it was absolutely I, I was over analyzing everything, and I just kept thinking, "What have I done wrong?" Because my husband was so done, and it was it was so scary. I I really feel for when people come to us and when they're in that spot, just thinking about it, <laughs> getting a mo- little emotional again, but I f- really feel for those people because it is scary. When when you feel like you're doing everything you can and everything you know to do, but there's so much you can't control and you can't control what your spouse does. You can't control um, the way that your spouse reacts, you can't control any of it. The only thing you can control is yourself. And I finally had to realize that. But it wasn't, I didn't realize that at first. There was there was a long process of of me just thinking, what have I done wrong? Why do I feel like I am the only one doing everything right? Why do you, me this, me that? I, I just focused everything on me. And one of the worst things I thought And one of the things that just really put me in a low place was, I don't deserve this. Why do I have to deal with the brunt end of the stick when I'm the one trying to do everything I know to do in order to get our marriage back on track, in order to take it out of this crisis mode, in order to save our marriage? and that's when that's when you know I'm I'm a Christian I don't hide that fact I don't hide that fact at all we work with many types of people in, at marriage helper and many with many walks of life and many different faiths and so I'm not trying to push my christianity on you but it was at that point when I felt so low and I was just so focused on me and I felt like I was doing everything right I was doing this that and the other that god really took me and and just changed that thought for me. It 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 no longer was I'm the one doing everything right. It was Kimberly, you need to start focusing on changing yourself. So what if Rob isn't working on his pies right now? So what? You can't control that. And the more you try to control it, the more you're going to push him away. And that's really hard for me, and I think it's hard for a lot of people to get to that point of understanding. I'm a very type A person. I want to control everything. I want to be able to have my hand on top of everything and make sure it's going exactly the way I want it to go. That's I think that's a blessing that many leaders have, and it's also the very same curse that many leaders have, and not just leaders, but many people in their marriage. And what I had to, to come to the fruition was I still needed to change myself. I needed to look at myself, just like that verse where it's, where it's like don't even think about telling the other person what's wrong with them before you really take a good look at yourself. Because I had placed myself on such of this pedestal of oh woe is me. And really it it wasn't woe is me. I needed to focus on me. And so one of the things I learned during this time was even when even when your spouse isn't working on themselves the only thing you can do is go back to working on you. And a lot of people, when, when, when we get to this point with them, when they're, when they're asking what we do and we start talking about the pies and we say, this is what you start with, a lot of people, they just look at me and they say, but why? Why does my spouse deserve for me to do that? Why do I have to be the one to go through all the hard work? And I understand. I felt the same way. But here's why. Because saving your marriage is hard. Because being married is hard. It requires changing the way you think, changing the way you act, and changing the way you react. It means doing things that you don't want to do. It's like training for a marathon. I've never done a whole marathon. I've done a half marathon. And I will never do it again. But when I was training for that half marathon, I had to run a lot. And I, you know, I never ran more than eight miles before we did the 13 mile marathon, which I would not advise. It was definitely not smart. But I had to do things like wake up early. I had to do things like ice baths. I had to do things like change the things that I was eating. And all of these things, I don't wake up at 5am in the morning thinking, you know exactly what I want to do right now before the sun is even up. I want to go for a run. That's not normal. Normal people don't really think that way. But when it comes to saving your marriage, people, this disconnect comes. They start thinking, well, I should be, I, I, it should come easy. It should, I should want to do it. All of these things. But when you look at it, just like anything you're going to train for in life, just like anything you really want, like a job promotion, like different things like that, uh, you know, if you're going to save up for a vacation, it takes Hard work. But when it comes to the marriage, this minute it gets hard, people want out. And I get it. I felt the same way. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about it now because I see what I did and I see the way that I, I used these pies and I intervened in my own marriage to stop it from divorce. I I will always say I'll be very upfront with the fact that there was no divorce process in place with my with me and my husband. There was no affair. There um, there was not anything like that. But I strongly believe that the reason that things didn't get to that point is because I implemented these marriage helper tactics. I started doing the pies. I started doing all these things, changing the way I reacted, changing the way that I acted in general, changing my thought process about marriage and just backing off and giving my husband space. And it was the best thing I could have done. If I hadn't have done it, we wouldn't have made it. It was such a toxic environment. It, the way that things were, and that it was both of us, the way that things were had to change. And the only way for it to change was for me to stop my part because I, I can only control myself. I can only control control myself. Never in my life did I better understand the way Jesus Christ fights for us as when I was fighting for my marriage. And never was I more aware of of God's ultimate plan of redemption than I was when I was wanting to redeem my own marriage. And I just want to stop right here and say, I know that this might not be a religious audience, but for those of you who are, and I know most of our listeners actually are, but I am so thankful that God fights for me. I am so thankful that God didn't walk away from me, or God doesn't walk away from me, and that He, he, fights, he fights to redeem. And I think that's the exact same thing that we have to start thinking about when we're looking at saving our marriage. We have to realize that a marriage relationship is the ultimate type of relationship that God brought to earth to show that parallelism in between the relationship with him and his church. And that's, that's what marriage signifies. It is, it is that earthly embodiment of the way that God loves us, and it's never more real than when you're fighting for your marriage. And it's never more redeemable than when you're fighting for your marriage because God wants all marriages to be redeemed. Even if there's been an affair, even if fill in the blank, if it can, God is in the business of redemption and thank God for that. So how does this relate to attraction? When I was fighting for my marriage, I remember crying out to God. To change my husband. I remember I'd be sitting on the bathroom floor, just wallowing in my sorrows about an event that happened, about something, just wishing that God would change him. But what I had to realize was God had to change me. And so what did I did? What did I do? P, I started eating right, taking care of myself and not depending on anyone else in my life to tell me that I was worthy or that I was beautiful, or that I was fill in the blank. Because there became a point in my marriage when I stopped letting God be the one to do that for me, and I wanted my husband to be the one to do that for me. And in any type of marriage, whether it's in crisis or whether it's not in crisis, that is the worst thing you can do, is to start depending on your husband to be your source of happiness. I don't think anyone should ever depend on one person or people in general, to be their source of happiness. If you're a Christian, my hope is that you depend on God to be your source of happiness. So, you know, physically, like I said, getting in an exercise program, making sure I was eating right, taking control of that area of my life. Intellectually, I started getting involved in activities with other ladies. I started learning and more about business. This is actually, it was during that time, that I actually started learning a whole lot more about business and the things that I learned actually are what took Marriage Helper to extreme heights of places we've never been before and just started a, a snowball effect into where Marriage Helper is going in the future. So me taking that time and focusing on myself, even when my marriage was was struggling and we were fighting things out, but we were you know fighting to get better, Marriage Helper was being able to benefit from it because I was learning. I was taking that time to be intellectual. E, emotional. I was a safe place for my husband even when he wasn't for me. I had to learn how to hold my tongue and to not say a lot of the things I was thinking or feeling and just really exhibit true love. And again, this isn't an, oh, Kimberly, you're so awesome. How did you do that? Because it's not about me. I didn't do it well. And the only way I did do it was because I, first of all, had a God who helped me through it. And second of all, I had an implementable tactics with Marriage Helper, the things I learned, the things that uh, that I knew to do. And I implemented these strategies. And it was really just the guide that helped me to, to save my marriage. And that's the same thing we want to do for you. It's not about any of us. It's about you and what we can teach you and how we can give you tactics that we can and tools that we can for you to save your own marriage. Because you're the hero in this story. You're going to be the one to save your marriage. No one else can. Only you can. And spiritually, I started waking up at 4 or 5 a.m., which is so crazy. I hate waking up early. I really do. But I was yearning to be alone with God before the day started. Because if I didn't start my day off right, the whole day would just crash. I would my thoughts would start going bad. I might wake up angry and if I didn't start with God first and another thing I did is I started writing down all of the things that I loved about my husband, even when it was hard, and when it was really hard, I might have to sit there and think, okay, what are the things God loves about my husband? Because sometimes I was too angry to even think that way. But I would make that list, and I would I would pin it up, and I would refer to it when I was having a hard time. And I just had to continually reset my mind. And it's definitely a process. So, you know, I used all of that. And, and over time, over this this second season of our marriage that we went through lasted for about a year and a half or maybe a little more. But, um, my husband saw a change in me and none of this happened overnight. It took, like I said, a year and a half or two. And, but my husband began to see consistency in me being a safe place for him. And in my prayers, in my time with God, I would just cry out to God. I I stopped, um, crying out for it to be a change my husband and because I deserve it because that I, I really became more humble about myself but it changed into a God you have plans for him you see the great man of God that he is you are the only one who can change his situation and change his heart and change the things going on and that's just how I would pray I would pray for him for his benefit not for mine because it came to a point where I I I wasn't thinking about it that way anymore I was just thinking about it for his sake. And so God started to work on him, and I saw the answers to, to prayers that I was praying for God to work on, him, work on him, and he eventually opened up to me about some things that had been going on and um, and all of those kinds of things. And it I, I can't and won't go into details about those things. That's something private to me and him, but it's a huge testimony in... <laughs> in the making, as soon as God lets it be. and um, But the reason that my husband was able to open up to me and to break out of that anger and and for things to just really start getting better is because there was a consistency in me, of me being that safe place. And he finally believed that I would be a safe place for him. Again, it all starts with friendship. It all goes back to do unto others if you will as others would do unto you. I could tell you so many stories of how I've seen this simple principle save so many marriages. There's there's one woman who many years ago was was working with marriage helper. She was one of our um, one of the people who came to our workshop and I could tell you her story about how she used the pies when her husband was involved in an affair, and how he left and he went to go be with the other woman, but through a series of events ended up having to use the computer and printer back at home with his wife and so he called and asked her if he could come there for a couple of hours every week just to work from there um, to do those kinds of things, and she told him that she could or that he could and so He would come and the whole time he was there, he would just talk about the other woman, about how much he loved her, how much he wanted to be with her. And the woman, this woman uh, who came to our workshop, the wife, she was working with us to work on her pies. So she was working on herself physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually. And so her response when he would say that to her, she would say, I understand how you feel. I hope... One day that you feel that way about me again. How much strength does that take? And this happened over and over for weeks, for absolute weeks. And it finally came to the point where her husband began to open up to her again, where he began to talk to her about things and she was that safe place for him. And even when he would talk about the other woman, her response would be, I understand how you feel. I accept the fact that you feel that way. I pray that someday you would feel that way about me. So powerful, so powerful for her to even just be able to say that no matter what ended up happening in her marriage. And it was this process, it was this Pies process to where one day he finally became so distraught that he he locked himself in a closet and he, he didn't know if he wanted to live or die because he was so torn in between whether he wanted to be with the other woman or be with his wife. And on the other side of that closet door, as he was sitting in there with a a pistol, which his wife thought that he might do that, so she went ahead of him and took the bullets out. So he was in there with no bullets. He just didn't know it. But when he was in there and he was just talking about how distraught he was, it was his wife on the other side of that door saying, I understand how you feel. I accept that you feel that way, and I... Hope that you would feel that way about me again. How strong, how powerful is that? Absolutely amazing. So how do you think that story turned out? All because she started working on her pies. She just started focusing on herself. She couldn't focus on what her husband was going to do or not going to do. She was just focused on bettering herself. And now, not only is their marriage saved, but he ended up becoming a marriage and family therapist. And how good do you think he is? He's amazing at what he does because he's lived it. He's been there. So that testimony and her willingness to change herself and to stand strong for their marriage has helped countless, countless other marriages. And no matter where you are, In your marriage relationship, this is absolutely crucial information. If you're just starting out, then keep working on your pies. Make it be something that you do every single day. Focus on how am I bettering myself? One of the things that that we teach people is actually to go through and just pick one thing. So we've talked about physical, we've talked about intellectual, emotional, spiritual. Of those four categories, If you were to rate yourself on a 1 to 10 rating for each one, physical 1 to 10, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, 1 to 10 on each, if you were to give yourself an honest rating on how well you were doing in each of those categories right now, which one do you think would be the lowest? Say it's intellectual. Just pulling that one out. If it's intellectual, say, okay, what is one thing that I can do over the next 90 days That might even be too long. Maybe you just want to say 30 days. What is something I can do over the next 30 days to change my intellectual attraction? Can I join a college course? Should I join a book club? Should I take up a new hobby? Should I start volunteering? Anything that you can think of, but write it down and make a plan for how you're going to do it. You say, okay, how am I going to intellectually grow over the next 30 days? And what are some actual quantifiable ways that I can measure that success because if you can measure the success then after you do that one when you get to the end of the 30 days you can look back and say wow look I did that I met my goals so do I want to keep working on this one or should I go back and start over at the beginning and pick a new one to work on a new one to do and the awesome thing is, is you can do this over the course of your entire marriage because there's always going to be things to work on. We can always better ourselves. We can always do something to make ourselves better people and make our marriage better. So if that is the one thing that you can start with. The first step to take when saving your marriage, it is that, to focus on the pies. But not just focus on all four because that can be overwhelming at first. Pick the one that you feel like you need the most work on. Maybe it is the emotional one because that is the one that is so important to your marriage. So if you're looking at the emotional one and you're saying, okay, how how can I actually set a goal for that? Maybe it's something like this. Maybe for emotional attraction, it's, okay, for the next 30 days, I will not yell at my spouse. When we're in a conversation, if my spouse yells at me, I'm making a commitment not to yell back. Instead, I'm going to take a deep breath. If If I feel like I need to take a break from the conversation, then I'm going to say, you know what? I think this is something we need to talk about. Can we come back to it in an hour? And making that your standard response. Maybe it's something like that that you wish to do. However you choose to do it, do it. Just pick something and get moving. Even if you don't pick, maybe you don't pick the most important one at first. Maybe you just pick the one that you feel like you can actually conquer in the next 30 days. But you need to actually do it. Attraction stays important for a lifetime. It's always important. And the point is to be the most attractive that you can be for your age and your situation in life. Physically, we're not asking you to look like someone 20 years younger. We, that's, that's not what we want. Everyone is beautiful, handsome, as, you know, as they are for their age and situation in life. And that's what we want you to aspire to. There is always hope. There's always hope. And that's what we believe in Marriage Helper. And once your marriage gets to be great, keep focusing on these pies. But if you're really having trouble just working through this and just being able to, to, to figure all of this out and you really want a support group that can walk with you through this because that's the best thing that you can have, then you know that's something like where our Save My Marriage course comes in, where you are with other people who are learning these things and who are implementing them and who are actively working on their pies and who understand these concepts, who you can engage with, and who can give you that feedback. And and what we promise to do as a brand, as an organization, is we promise to guide you through these steps, through these tactics, through this 10-week course, so that you can look back at the end of 10 weeks, at the end of six months, at the end of a year, however long it takes, because we're with you every step of the way. You can look back and you can say, I did this. I was able to save my marriage because it's not about marriage helper. It's about you. And all we want to do is help you walk through this and to be the hero of your marriage. I loved being with y'all this week. If you have questions, you know, where to find me. You can, you can go to Marriage Helper. You can go to our Facebook group, which is called Save My Marriage. Um, send an email, info at marriagehelper.com. We love hearing from you guys because you're the reason that the heart of Marriage Helper beats, and we love you for it. Have a great rest of your evening, and we'll see you again next week.